0: To Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture, from movies on the big screen to whatever it is that you're streaming. We're broadcasting tonight from Triple R Studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal Land. Big thanks to Fee for the last three hours of MAPS. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and I'm joined in the studio tonight by a senior lecturer in media at RMIT, Dr. Jess Balanzeggi. Hello Flick, hey Jess And from Funtime Film Club hey. and Auntie Donna,
1: hey.
0: it's Zach Ruane
1: Thank you, thanks so much, I'm not a doctor I've we'll got just... a BA, that, uh, you can put that at the end of your
0: <laughs> We'll just make you an honorary doctor Thank yeah, you, doctor, <laughs> thank you. Doctor in Funtime yeah. That's my
1: sole goal in, mm. in life is to get an honorary doctorate uh, uh, It's not a real one but you know, I can do
0: it <laughs> Well, you know, who knows? At the end of tonight's discussion, people might be like, give that man a doctorate. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Just add a few more tens of (laughs) thousands of words to whatever he just said.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So on tonight's show, we are going to review Alexander Payne's campus drama, The Holdovers, starring Paul Giamatti, uh, Divine Joy Randolph and newcomer Dominic Sessa. It came out in cinemas last month, but it's now available to stream. It is still available in most cinemas, I think most. Mm are doing this kind of extended run because of all of the nominations that it's got. Um, and later tonight, we're going to chat with the duo behind Seventh Cinema, which is a free public cinema season that kicked off a few weeks back. We've got curators Corey Miles and Lucy Loy, who have put together this really remarkable schedule of films that exist at the intersections of colonialism and global climate change. Um, they've selected films that focus in on this global expansion and its effects on the environment, human rights and cultural landscapes. The next screening is going to be this Thursday, and we'll share all the details of that later tonight. And look, Melbourne film folk are really getting spoiled this week. Not only do you have Seventh Cinema on Thursday, Melbourne Cinematheque is back on. Every Wednesday night at Acme and Unknown Pleasures at Thornbury Picture House. There's so much. Uh, But for the horror fans among us, the capital is about to be transformed into for two nights into a showcase of live music, art, feature films, and very rarely seen experimental shorts. Plus, artisan director talks to celebrate the transgressive, rebellious forces that fuel the horror genre. It's called Screams on Screen and it's happening this Friday and Saturday. Jess, you're one of the co-programmers for this. Let's dig into the program. You've divided it up into kind of two streams, I suppose we could say. You've got the Dark Desire all about stories of impulse, longing, craving, and lust, and then you have the oh, I've gotten lost my what's the other <laughs> the, the stream dark called?
2: domestic dark domestic so <laughs> as much alliteration as we can yes, possibly cram into it. <laughs> it, which is kind of my go-to when framing spooky events. But yeah. it's also the thematic coherence of it is also a credit to Elise Goldfinch and Jessica Clark from the Australian Centre of Contemporary Art who have co- co-programmed this with me and brought their beautiful art curator greater brains into the collaboration. So it's a in association with their exhibition from the other side, which is on at ACA at the moment. And it's a horror focused exhibition with themes that resonate with our screening series at the Capitol. So we're trying to bring art and horror together in some unexpected ways, perhaps. So we'll have a combination of shorts, as you mentioned, experimental shorts. We've got some David Lynch sprinkled in there as well as some amazing um, works from Up and Coming or an established artist, Isabel Pop. Papad- Hard, for instance, yes. a stop motion animation. Yeah, film good the friend Butterfly. of the show,
0: Isabel yes. She's been on before. And yeah, you've got, I love, what is it? One, two, three, four, you've got a whole collection of shorts. I love how having a short showcase for shorts because I feel like so often, you know, there's not a space for them. And like mm. you, these these curated screening programs are a way to actually put them in conversation with each other and all from different eras. This is a fantastic setup. How's it going to work with the art installations
2: in place? Is it, are you walking through in the foyer area? Or How is it set up? Well, we'll have Isabel Pippard's sculptural work in the foyer space. Mm. So if you haven't been to the Capitol before, now's your chance. It's beautiful. It it is beautiful. (laughs) Architecturally. And and we will be activating it in the spookiest possible ways. Uh, So we'll have um, Isabel's monstrous sculptures in the foyer space, including some of the stop-motion puppets from her Butterflies film. Mm. So you'll get to encounter these monstrous creatures in the flesh face-to-face before seeing them on the big screen. Mm. We also, w- on the Friday night, we have a live Theremin performance in the salon space. So if you haven't been to the Capitol before, the salon space is not usually open to the public. So it will be spookified as well. Um, <laughs> official academic term. Yes, official academic term. <laughs> and so it's really going to kind of, we're, we're going to expand the space in the yeah, spookiest ways we can. And we'll have uh, talks from the filmmakers. So Isabel, for instance, is one of the filmmakers who'll be appearing on, in conversation on Friday night. Um, I'll be talking to the director of Celia, which is one of our feature films yes. on Saturday. So Celia is one of
0: my favourite horror films and we actually covered it on the show way back during lockdown. We were trying to come up with some themes outside of the usual ones that were set through. And it's it's often available to stream, but it's so much better seeing it in a cinema. Absolutely. And, and with
2: a crowd. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to see it with a crowd because mm. it's got this really... I can't, I'm just interested to see how the crowd will react to this film because it's one of those... Uh, genre hybrids that I think could go in very different directions depending on the vibe of the crowd. Mm. I'll be interested to see what Anne has to say, but I'm not sure if she really was thinking of this as a horror film from the outset, although it's very spooky. Mm. Uh, It's got a lot of kind of dark comedy elements. It's all filtered through the perspective of this central child character as she's trying to figure out what the hell is going on with her family in 1950s, late 1950s Mm. Melbourne um, during the whole, whole kind of communist Red Scare era. So she's a very... Um, kind of imaginative but confused child. That's my favourite kind of movie when it's, you know, the, the confused child is making sense of it, so we're making sense of what's going on through her mm. fractured kind of perspective. Totem did yeah. that
0: to great effect. Uh, I don't know if you saw Totem, but that's another one where you've got this child at the centre. Mm. And, yeah, there's, it's so often where um, we, we don't think about that perspective and I love it that you've you've got that as the feature
2: for the sp- Friday night, is that right? On Saturday Saturday night. Saturday night. That Celia's Mm. the first feature up. And then we have that paired with The Babadook, Jennifer Kent's The Babadook. It's the 10th anniversary of that amazing film. And Celia, like The Babadook, has a kind of boogeyman character Mm. as central to this child's warped perception on what's going on around her. Also set... And filmed in Box Hill, so I love the nostalgia <laughs> of you know Box Hill in the in the in the well filmed in the eighties but set in the fifties. So that layering of time, I'm trying yeah. to spot the little familiar um, Box Hill features. But uh, yeah, Bab- the Babadook has some surprising resonances with Celia. Mm. So we've paired these two films because we think they've got a lot of thematic links and Celia deserves to be seen on the big screen and very rarely has been um, theatrically exhibited. So Mm. that's going to
0: be fun. Before we get into the Babadook, and I do want to get into what they're calling the Babadiscourse, or I don't know if that's a now cliche term, (laughs) but I'm going to use it. (laughs) Uh, But we, we should talk about the amazing panel that you've got on for, um, for provoking the dark desire, women in horror, Thank you. the cat Alex Heller Nicholas, um, who's well known film critic. Um, also, another uh, Primal Screen before Primal Screen was that it was Plato's Cave. Um, one of the original hosts, uh, Isabel Papad, who we mentioned before. Um, you've got Liang Luscombe, who's an artist who's working across all the sculpture and moving image, and Janice Lorick, who is at University of Melbourne. I love that coupling of, of these films, this art. You've got, and then you can sit in dark <laughs> while you listen to a deep discussion on horror. Horror, all these horror elements. So yeah, there's a lot in for people. And we should mention that tickets are only ten to fifteen dollars. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm yep. guessing that's student price uh, or a concession
2: price to adult. Uh, it's fifteen dollars for both nights and ten dollars oh, for each night. That's even cheaper so, than I realized. Yeah, and that that's not even. I hope I'm not misspeaking here, but that's not concession prices. That's just the price across the board. Okay, mm. wonderful to
0: hear that. Um, let's get into the Babadook now, Zach. I've heard that you will be presenting. <laughs> The, the screening of The Babadook. What's your connection to Jennifer
2: Kent's iconic cult horror?
1: Well, I'll be... Um, should I? Uh, is it all right to give away what I'm going to be doing? I feel like... Or is it it's a,
2: kind of a surprise, okay. but maybe Primal Screen listeners can be in the know. <laughs> I don't know.
1: I feel like you should set it up because it was your idea and it is an amazing idea.
2: Yes. Well, if you've seen The Babadook... Or even if you haven't seen the Babadook and you've just been across (laughs) Babadiscourse.
0: Should we first, before we even get into that, define for us what the
2: hashtag Babadiscourse is? Well, as often happens with horror movies that have, again, like Celia, the Babadook has this dark comedic edge to it, which is another reason why I love it so much. Um, Like a lot of these horror movies that have a dark comedic edge, they kind of take off in the memosphere and in these unexpected directions. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, yeah, so, so I'm getting schooled on some new terms in Memosphere. <laughs> Mr. Babadook, who is the uh, sinister bogeyman character from that movie, has, ta- has become a kind of queer icon. Yeah. Uh, there's been some amazing, hilarious memes. Like one of the ones I've seen that goes viral every Halloween is just this person oh, who's this. dressed in the Babadook costume, which is just like the full-on... Stereotypical, huge black cloak, huge, big black claws, yeah. top hat, white face, the typical kind of boogeyman vibe. But yeah. dress like that at a Halloween party, but it's a very adult Halloween party where just everyone else is hanging out drinking wine and no one else is in costume. So images like that um, have kind of made him a bit of a cult hero, anti-hero, bit of a queer icon yes. as well. Yeah, like
1: outsider status. Yeah, am I wrong in saying it started because, I, I might be wrong here, but I think it started because Netflix had an algorithm, there was a mistake in their algorithm yes. and it was listed as LGBTQ <laughs> yes. I, IA plus cinema yes. which is just oh. such a funny notion that like people would have heard all this Baba discourse and mm. thinking oh wow, I've got to watch this film and just not being able to draw any of those themes out of that film <laughs> Is really entertaining to me,
2: but somehow managing to inject those themes into the film. So yeah, it's it's. He's become quite a phenomenon, old Mister Babadook. Yeah, and I mean, he's very disruptive. To isn't that the whole thing that they're trying to? That a lot of the queer communities
0: are loving the fact that it's like disrupting the family, you know,
2: oh, the traditional
0: family. Great. Yeah, so much like from the community as well, just being like championing of this. Yeah, yeah. Let's
1: let's make it <laughs> the work. disruptive
2: forces of it, <laughs> yeah. and the way he theatrically lurks around round is actually kind of funny and appealing as well. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. so many of these you know, sinister malevolent characters, they have this kind of appeal to them that goes beyond just being Unsettling and terrifying, and clearly, Mr. Babadook has hit that kind of nerve. Yeah, <laughs> but he—the he, the reason Mr. Babadook appears in The Babadook—and I don't want to spoil it for people who aren't that familiar with the film—but it's one of my favourite kind of horror subgenres, where it, all the horrors emerge from this sinister children's book, mm. which follows that typical kind of nursery rhyme structure. If it's in a look, oh great, I'm going to forget it just as I try to recite. The line from the movie I've seen four million
1: times.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if if it's in a look, it's in a book, something to do with getting rid of the Babadook. Anyway, you'll... You'll, you'll know no, if you've we'll, seen it. Yeah.
0: If you need any um, <laughs> further recommendation to see it, William Friedkin, the um, director of The Exorcist, said it's one of the scariest movies he's ever seen.
1: Yes, he Wow. Did. Yeah. yeah. What so, a – that's great. That's, yeah.
0: Mm. It made me think – I don't even think it was that scary. <laughs> maybe I've got to, I mean, I mean, yeah, I find it found it unsettling, like the first time I saw it, but I think maybe there's – I'm just – there's so much in it that you can unpack. Did you, did you see it in cinemas? You know what? I actually saw it for the first time because we taught it. As, right. a, as a film text. So I was like, that was my first one of it. And then mm. I think there was like a screening of it, like coupled, like one of those double features. Mm. But it's been 10 years since its release. crazy. It's which is crazy. remarkable. Yeah. And
2: it got a very, not many people saw it in cinemas when it first came out because it only yeah, showed in 13, really badly. 13 film screens here in yeah. Australia. That
1: was, sorry, didn't get what? much fun. We didn't do... <laughs> We didn't give it the credit it deserved oh, wow. until the rest of the world told us it was good. That doesn't That's sound very like us. Unlike us. And I, I
2: remember vividly I was in one of those screenings at Cinema Nova mm. and there weren't many other people there, but I was horrified. It did mm. actually, and I'm a seasoned horror movie watcher. Yeah. It's partly what I do for a living and thinking about these movies, but uh, it stayed with me for ages. Well, I remember yeah. so, like someone had left their black coat in my shared house oh, a, couple my of, a couple of <laughs> nights after I saw it, just like in the hallway. Yeah. And... I screamed and woke everyone up and had to turn all the lights on. So it was one of those movies that really stayed with me in the immediate aftermath of it.
0: Yeah. Well, I um, I remember think, watching uh, Kent's second feature, um, The Nightingale, Ugh. and just feeling that for me is that such is a different film. It's yeah. amazing that she can operate in both registers. But you're right, the, I, I'm trying to act braver than I am. I did find The Babadook scary. I was in a obviously surrounded by students, so like not as scary as the cinema. But I think there's an element to it being set, and we were talking before about Cecilia, Celia with the childlike perspective. This kind of um no, you're talking about the domestic, the dark domestic. There's something where you you think of the home as this place of safety and so oh. often oh. horror breaks into that and really, really kind of plays with that sense of Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's just a child's book or it's just this or it's just a kitchen sink. (laughs)
1: This is a really random sort of a segue but I have this, there's this moment in Scream 2, I think, where where Sarah Michelle Gellar is on the phone and just in the background before she locks the door, Ghostface runs through the door and then she locks the door and that image... Is with me every night yeah. when I lock the door. Oh, <laughs> like yeah, no. Every single night, it's just one, like t- three seconds of film from yeah. something I watched as a teenager, but it just yeah. stuck with me. And oh. I think that's when horror really mm. works. My version know? of
2: that is that moment in The Ring, which is one of my favourite films of all time, the Gore Verbinski version of mm. The Ring. Yeah, where the, there's this that split second moment where we see. The teenager's face, one of the first victims of the monstrous child ghost, mm. and we just see her horrific, deformed face, and it just kind of her head lolls down in the in the corner of a closet. Oh. So I, I still cannot mm. sleep with a closet, even a slight crack open at night, because of that one image. <laughs> oh so that yes, that that's my version. Is of your
1: that. has your entire career, all the way to PhD, <laughs> been just to process that moment in that film?
2: Honestly. Yes, <laughs> oh, the, the ring what did actually, because I saw that way too young when yeah. I wasn't ready for it, mm. so it, I think my whole career has been trying to understand how something I knew was fictional and was contained to the screen could make me feel so physically and emotionally threatened. So, yes, mm.
0: I need, think so. We All need right. to add that to your LinkedIn, Jess. <laughs> now, for listeners who are eager to come along to Screams on Screen, we should mention the, the special Primal Screen only uh, announcement about what your involvement is going to be
2: exactly. Yes, oh. we didn't get to that. I did belatedly remember what the the... The, um, yeah, the, the Babadook storybook line is, if it, I, now I'm going to say it and forget it immediately again, <laughs> if it's in a look or it's in a book, you can't get rid of the Babadook. Oh. So it's a very, very, very
0: cinematic also rhythmic, link. Yes. If you think about how much we talk about in cinema studies, the yes, look,
2: yes. the gaze. Uh, and I happen to have in my possession one of the very rare copies of this picture book. This this is why you freaked out, Jess. (laughs) I know, I shouldn't have it in my house, but I do own one and um, it usually lurks in a corner covered in clothes so I don't have to look at it. Not a black overcoat. Not a black overcoat. (laughs) That would be too dangerous. But um, that will be making an appearance on Saturday night as we celebrate the 10th anniversary of the Babadook. And Zach...
1: I'll be be doing a reading of that book. So I'm going to be putting on my best uh, Noni from... uh... Get my nicest checked shirt, yeah. and uh, I'll be doing a reading of that full play school style. I'm oh, so. going to create
0: so many nightmares. Yeah, <laughs> yes. there's going to be people who think back to this. I'm going to
1: try and be as unscary as possible, and I think that's the scariest choice I can make.
2: Yes, absolutely, totally, it is. especially on this the beautiful Capitol Theatre stage with that kind of crystalline ceiling, and it's all very kind of formal and oh, it's architecturally going to be striking. This moment is going to be a special one, I believe.
0: <laughs> yes, I think so too. Um, so, for listeners who uh, would like to come along to Screams on Screen, we've actually got a little giveaway. We've got two double passes to uh, Friday, Saturday. We mentioned before the ticket price is $10, $15, $10, yes, $15. 10 foot-
2: the Friday or the Saturday or fifteen for both nights. That's great, it by is the way. Wonderful. That is such a it's good, pretty price. good in the face yeah. myself. Yeah.
0: And also, yeah, so much on there. A double feature, you've got talks, there's artwork to explore. Um, it's gonna be a really amazing. Two day spookathon. Um, you can take that a bit of,
2: <laughs> <laughs> of I probably listening. will. You'll see it soon. <laughs> oh, and we haven't even mentioned the trivia. Oh, yes. And we do have a follow-up event happening at ACA to celebrate, again, the exhibition and the closing of the exhibition because it closes um, in early March, 3rd of March. So we have a special event, 1st of March, Trivia of Terror, which Zach will be hosting. Oh!
1: Fantastic! Yeah, which is very exciting. I'm. Uh, I don't. I, I. don't know what to say about it. I'm still planning it. I want to wear a big costume. The one joke I have in my head is that I want to wear. A lot of horror characters have really long fingers or fingernails. I've noticed, including so, Mr.
2: Babadook. He's Mr. Got Babadook that,
1: yep. has it. Um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, mm-hmm. the '90s yeah. one, has very say- long nails.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I want to play a character with really long nails, <laughs> trying to hold the question. <laughs> The one joke I've got, but I'm sure I'll think of some others. Uh, Give me a couple of weeks. It's
0: working now. (laughs) Um, So, if you would like to come along to Screams on Screen, please give us a call on nine three eight eight one zero two seven. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Jess Balazategi, Zach Rowan, and myself, Flick Ford. And that song was Time Has Come Today by the Chambers Brothers. And a big uh, thank you to the listeners who called up for that very special giveaway for Screams on Screen, which is happening this Friday and Saturday at the Capitol. If you'd like to come along, you just head to rmit.edu.au and look up the
2: events. You can find Screams on Screen. If you look up Screams on Screen ACCA or Screams on Screen RMIT, you'll find... You can see the whole Links. program as yeah. well, to get you
0: excited about it. And the song that you just heard um, does feature in Alexander Payne's campus drama, The Holdovers, which listeners may have already seen at the cinemas because it's still playing and it did come out last month, but it is now also available to stream. Now, listeners will likely be pretty familiar with Payne's work, uh, Sideways, Election, About Schmidt, uh, Downsizing, Nebraska. Do you guys have a favourite Payne film?
2: I I love the way you kind of smiled when you said downsizing. (laughs) Is it obvious I'm not a fan? I'm also not a fan, but I could just immediately read that facial expression because that's my facial expression whenever I mention that film. Yeah, you know, Payne has come out and
0: said he thinks it's a masterpiece that just is going to take a little while for people to get.
2: Yeah, that one, that one, unfortunately, yeah. made me quite mad. So I probably really shouldn't, you shouldn't got mad talk at about it. About it too I much. feel
1: so. I'm so sad about it because that's the sort of film you want to love because everyone hates it. But I feel yeah. okay about it. I thought it <laughs> completely was completely neutral. I thought it was <laughs> all right.
2: Is that the underdog thing? You just got to love. A broken down, but I, I mess mean, of wouldn't it, it be great mm. if that was your favorite?
1: Because then you could have those big arguments. for yeah. Like my favorite Batman is Batman and Robin. Oh, oh hours yeah. of oh. fun.
2: <laughs> so, Zach, I've got to say, I'm a regular at Zach's Funtime Film Club. Yes, at which cinemas, we should so give a shout out. At oh, yeah. you, It's amazing. it's a really awesome cult film fun time experience but um as the name suggests as the name suggests (laughs) batman and robin is the one film i watched as part of fun time film club that made me mad and i was like i think i want to leave
3: (gasps) i I stayed (laughs) the whole time
2: but i i did get quite annoyed What about it?
3: I love that. Maybe it was my mood.
2: It it is. I've seen it before, but for some reason, watching it set you off. I don't know. Maybe it's because I was trapped and I couldn't (laughs) leave or something. I don't know. It's like at Lido. I'm sure they're not that trappy, are they? (laughs) I I was surprised by my response to be honest, because I was honestly starting to like vocalize my frustration. I was like, "What?"
0: Well, I feel like I feel like pain. As a, sorry. Very. This is a very. (laughs) big segue. Uh, No, no, I'm (laughs) responsible for this segue. This is my fault.
1: You are getting back on track. I think think
0: it's called a derailing. Um, But Payne, similarly, as a director, I feel like he can really, if you're not a fan of his films, it might be hard to get you in the cinema for some of these. Like you get why people don't always, and aren't always on board with his films. They're pretty all like... Election, if you think about that, that is so wild. I think I didn't get it the first time I saw it. I think I was too young to understand mm. it and then I thought about it, you know, re-saw it as an adult and was like, oh, this is hilarious and wonderful. Uh, Sideways, I feel like I really loved that film when it came out but then with time I was like, eh, it's a bit, I don't know, a bit too on the nose for me. Um, about Schmidt, I kind of didn't get him but so many people love that film. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Of, I feel like he just sort of, he's a bit people you either love him or you don't kind mm. of vibe i feel like with the holdovers though um First, we should set up what it's all about. So it's set in the winter of 1970. Uh, The film does star Pugia Mardi as this strict classics teacher at a very strict boarding school in New England who's forced to chaperone this handful of students who have nowhere to go on their Christmas break. As I mentioned before, it does, of course, uh, star Divine Joy Randolph and newcomer Dominic Sessa, who's amazing in the role, I think, who play the school cafeteria manager and one of the students who stay on campus, respectively. We're gonna hear a little clip from it now.
3: I hate parties, that was a disaster, total disaster. Speak for yourself, I was having fun. Let's take Mary home, make sure she's okay and we'll come back. Out of the question. Come on, would you give me a break? God, I was hitting it off with
4: Elise. No, oh, Denise, are you kidding me? This poor woman is bereft and all you
3: can think about is some silly girl. I don't need you feeling sorry for me. See, I'm just saying, this was the first good thing that came with being in this prison with you.
1: Need I remind
4: you that it is not my fault that you are stuck here? Do you think I want to be babysitting you? Oh, no, no. I was praying to the god I don't even believe in that your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a submarine or a
3: flying fucking saucer father's to take you off. All-
4: that
0: was a clip from... Uh, Alexander Payne's The Holdovers uh, and a belated language warning. I kind of forgot there was a few swear words in that one. (laughs) Um, But anyway, hopefully, uh, you know, it's all contextual, isn't it? But that is, it kind of captures a bit of the dynamic that we see between these three main characters. I think the first thing that stood out to me with The Holdovers is that it has this very convincing look of being shot on 70s film stock. There's the graininess, the stains, um, all of the different marks. Um, But it has, of course... all all being created digitally um, just to give that impression of being on celluloid. And I think that. I mean, technically it's a period film of sorts, isn't it? And I, I think that a lot of the music is used to that effect. With the music, music choices, and we, we heard some of that before and we'll hear some more tunes from it in a moment, but it's a little bit all over the place in terms of where what period it's actually from. It goes more on a kind of like a vibe rather than a
2: year, year of release. <laughs> like Saltburn, which got so much criticism for
0: a similar kind of scene. It did uh, mm. on this show. Although Vaishnavi, one of our reviewers, did, does love that and had that as one of her favourite films of summer. I don't know, no one picked this one for their
2: favourite film of summer so far. It's kind of interesting, though. It's very much a Christmas film. Yeah. Mm. Um, Christmas movie. Yeah. Which I wasn't expecting because so I hadn't read much about it going in, and I was like, why wasn't I watching this
0: yeah. at Christmas time? It is a perfect – well, it came out, I think, in Australia in, only in January, so mm. you may not have had the opportunity. What did you think, though, about this kind of creating of this specific 70s world? I mean, it was shot in a real boarding house, so that part of it is true. None of it was created on set. They did film it during – a snowstorm, so there's no artificial flakes involved. What did you both think of um, this setting up of of time and place?
2: Oh, I loved it. Mm. Uh, It it reminded me a lot of uh, Licorice Pizza. Oh, yes, very similar. Yeah, Yeah. similar, kind of very focused on immersing us in that 70s vibe, as you were saying, Flick. Mm. Maybe not so much... Attention to like, specific details. Specific detail. <laughs> Historians just,
0: will hate it. Yeah. <laughs> just
2: the vibe of the thing, and it, I, mm. I did. It did feel to me like going back to the seventies, which I've never experienced myself. But going back to that period of well, cinema. And
0: very, yeah, precisely. And I think that's where we're all using it as a reference. And actually, Payne himself has listed all of these cinematic references mm. for the film. And yeah, they're you know classics harold and Maud, um the landlord the graduate you know films we're all familiar
2: with and can be like oh yeah we can see all these visual styles played out and also the pace and the structure Mm. i love 70s early 80s cinema they're kind of meandering yeah meandering (laughs) but immerse (laughs) you like really immersed in this meandering pace that hinges on little moments in conversations and this film does that Beautifully. It does. It yeah. does
1: him favors as well, doesn't mm. it? Because mm. as soon as you turn on your brain, you're like, oh, I'm watching a 70s movie. I'm going to mm. sort of sit back. I'm not going to ask as much from the scenes to give me as much. Mm. It then is. this is what he does most of the time anyway. So I yeah. think it actually allows you to appreciate what he does in mm. a different way, Yeah, think. Yeah. You know? yeah. He Definitely. loves
0: all of those kind of really long monologues. I mean, I have to say I found this film very funny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I really love Payne's moments of humour and, I mean, we see that in Sideways where he creates creates some fantastically unlikable characters and wonderful moments of physical comedy. I laughed so heartily during the holdovers and there were lines that I just played back in my head that I thought was <laughs> (laughs) so... so funny. And because you've got this student uh, teacher dynamic, you know, it's just ripe for zingers, you know, like there's real like teasing. And I I like that the film doesn't go too heavily on, you know, needing um, closure. You Mm. know, the film is about grief as well as um, this People. I thought about it a lot on the drive here. Actually, just really different. Each each character is at a different sort of life stage, Mm. and they kind of there's this real transition for each of them of like not knowing what's next. Mm. And I I feel like there's beautiful depth in this film. There's there's a lot to unpack. I think
1: it's something that he does really beautifully. When we were talking about his films, I had to just double check he did make it, but I think Descendants is one of my Mm, favourites.
0: Yes, of course. And
1: I thought of that particularly um, with. No, with all of the characters. But he explores grief, I think, in a way that very few filmmakers do. Mm. I think most filmmakers treat grief as something really sudden and he has that slow burn of grief Mm. really beautifully that it doesn't come in this sudden hard way it's it's often slow waves mm. and that's a hard thing to do well cinematically and and mm. the fact that he's pulled it off now i think in at least two films mm. is really incredible I- and
2: actually my, my favorite um alexander payne film is nebraska i love Nebraska. A very similar yes. thing going on where it's mm. hinges on a dynamic particularly between this father and son character yeah. Uh, Bruce Dern and Will Forte, who I really want to see in mo- more movies like Nebraska because I adore Will Forte. <laughs> but s- a very similar thing that, that to what you're talking about, Zach, where it's this kind of s- slow build of grief where you find yourself thinking about a conversation that's just happened 10 minutes after it's kind of yeah, trailed out. Yeah. So we have moments like that in um, The Holdovers as well where, for instance, the central kid character Angus will say something at their Christmas dinner that they've prepared at this lonely boarding school where he's trapped after being abandoned by his family and he'll say something like oh this is the first family Christmas dinner I've ever had and he kind Mm. of says it without any emphasis the camera doesn't necessarily linger on that there's no music cue to make us you know feel that that's you know a foregrounded central pillar of that scene Mm. but you kind of keep thinking about it after that comment is made yes so yeah
0: and there are moments I mean slight criticism is there are moments where pain does choose to put in the musical score at those like really crucial lines and I think moments like that I sometimes think oh you know I feel like it's a bit overdone and, and people who don't like his work might be like oh this is exactly why I don't I think on the whole though it works really well and the only other limitation I really thought of was you know, you've got this wonderful comic lines and performance and and depth and gravity to. Um, oh, I've blanked on her name. Uh, Devine oh, she uh, was Randolph. She was wonderful, incredible. wasn't she? Incredible. And and she brings something so different. She has, and I, I'm really glad they didn't sink into that kind of. Um Common, um, you know, use of, of a black character as like kind of the magical negro sort of imparting world wisdom. She has way more life experience than uh, the, the two <laughs> other characters but she, she comes from a different place and she comes from a place of not, she hasn't got that same hurt. She's
2: got a different kind of hurt. I Mm. suppose they each have hurt. And resists being the other two characters' kind of emotional support. Yes, Mm. yes. Yeah, Yeah. she pushes back. Mm. I, I just really loved her. We have
0: to mention Dominic Sessa, though. This is his first proper... Film, feature film performance. What a! I, I just think he's so perfectly cast. It was almost by chance. So, the place where they were filming, the school said, Well, could, could our students also audition? And that's Are how he got selected. Yeah, so the, it could have just easily not happened. He's that perfect combination. And, and I, I really like to focus on actors' bodywork. And he is, mm. I think, about tw- early 20s, but he's very believable as 17, 18 mm. years old, which is the character. He's got a gangliness, and there's also yeah, like a performance of bravado that he yo yos And you're not really sure. Where you sit with him, Mm. you know, where you're like, Oh, is he the bully or is he the victim? And he's kind of both because, of course, and I don't know, I thought his performance was amazing and really Mm. matched
2: Giamatti who is great at that, you know, dramatic register. Yes, Dominic Sessa, I found genuinely creepy at times. Yeah, his face is quite
0: uh, unusual. Yeah, Like it allows
2: for some really interesting moments. And it comes across as kind of sinister. So I do like that it pushes us into that uncomfortable place where we're not
0: mm.
2: quite sure to what extent we're meant to be empathising with these characters. Yes. But, yeah, yeah. and Paul Giamatti oh, we've oh got to talk about. <laughs> Paul Giamatti, man, I love that man. And he, You know
1: he this was his first film as well. He auditioned. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Discovered in a boarding yeah, school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, he was just going to the here? boarding
1: school that <laughs> they were you, filming. The janitor
2: at, at a boarding school <laughs> yeah, exactly. is the vibe he gives off. You yeah. could yeah. almost believe it, though, because I love how he's just part of the so furniture real. there. So,
0: yeah. Mm. I think it's what, were recommendations all around, Zach? Oh hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Sp- yeah. yeah.
1: I, I, I I literally watched it at Nova, got on the tram to the Triple R studio <laughs> and air. I'm <laughs> sitting here right now. So I'm still processing it. Yeah. But it's 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 beautiful and it's I, I I don't know. Sometimes we get so cynical. It it made me cry. I just mm. felt so much, and it's it's wholesome as yeah. well. Yeah. It, this sort of subject matter, I, I I come at it so cynically now, yeah. and to just come to the end of it and just feel a really wholesome. I just thought it was a beautiful mm. film. I
0: agree. Yeah. I think there's a lot to unpack. I, I had the same. I cried. I laughed. I oh,
2: did all the things in there a good film.
0: I highly recommend you check out The Holdovers. It is going to be in, it's in cinemas now and it's also on streaming, I think, on Apple TV. Uh, I think cinema, it's nice to see. In, sorry, I feel like I cut you off there, Jess, but are you going to add in Oh, little, no, I like, shouldn't start hurricane. because I'm
2: going to go off on a Paul Giamatti rant again. <laughs> we, and can, we can come back to
0: Paul at the end of the show Yes, you let's, you like. do it.
1: let's do it. let
0: <laughs> um, uh, The Holdovers. Uh, is uh, yeah in cinemas now check it out you're listening to primal screen on triple r
1: this is a podcast from triple r an independent media organization in melbourne australia triple r is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding if you would like to financially support triple r by donating or becoming a subscriber hit up rrr.org.au to find out how that is
0: The beautiful Cat Stevens with The Wind, which features in the film that we just reviewed, Alexander Payne's The Holdovers. I highly recommend checking that out. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Jess and and Zach Ruane. Um, we mentioned that we're going to be chatting with the duo behind Seventh Cinema and I have them here in the seats with me. Now, before I uh, introduce you both, Seventh Cinema is a free public cinema season that kicked off a few weeks back um, and it's existing at the intersection of colonialism and global climate change. There's so much to unpack. I'm so happy to now to be joined by curators Corey Miles and Lucy Loy. Welcome to Primal Screen. Hello. (laughs) Um, So... How did this come about? I mentioned before some of the focus of Seventh Cinema. Um, We should say where this is being played at, Seventh Gallery,
4: which is a new space, is that right? It's an outdoor cinema space. The cinema is a new space, but Seventh as a gallery has been around for a long time. Um, It's an artist-run space. We were up on Gertrude Street for a long time, but we have just moved to Richmond in the last couple of years. So the gallery is... Next to Citizens Park on the corner of Church and Bridge.
0: Yes. So let's get into the program. What a wonderful prompt at a time like this with the – I mean, we could just focus on the last year that we've had, but really this is is centuries-old discussions around colonialism and and this space of resistance and the importance – of that in storytelling and film is of course such a powerful way in which we can engage with this and, and think this through. Now a lot of the films selected they tell of family, social justice activism, home transformation and, and you're really, you're program that you've created, it highlights this powerful and enduring role of resistance. We on Primal Screen have talked a lot about the decolonizing potential of cinema. Before we get into the program itself and what you've selected, how did this first come about?
3: Um, I think it, it came about quite organically. So, like, Lucy works at Seventh and was um, applying for a grant to do you know, an outdoor cinema program like this. Um, And then we just started kind of talking about it, started kind of giving suggestions. We've been friends for a really long time and we also went to art school together Um, and we're both artists and uh, come from like a photographic background, so image-based background. And, yeah, we also used to live together for a series of years and, you know, (laughs) hang around and watch movies together. So it was kind of also birthed from that.
0: Great basis um, for a working relationship. Yeah, <laughs> totally,
3: totally. Um, but yeah, when it came to you know uh, everything, getting the grant and sitting down and being like, well, what what should we do? What mm. what films should we pick? How should we go about it? Yeah, we were, we were just kind of discussing you know things going on in the world mm. um, at that time and um, thinking about something that could. Um, relate to a lot of kind of different things going on Mm. Um, yeah so we didn't really necessarily just want to do it by like a genre or you know like one specific theme it was just kind of trying to encompass a lot of kind of topical issues and, and themes.
4: One of the biggest questions that we asked ourselves in the beginning was what do we want to say mm. and what voices do we want to platform? A lot of the films that we've chosen are independent films. Some of them are films from their older films, some of them are newer films, um, but they're often films that come from m- marginalised voices on topics such as... I mean, most of the films have an anti-colonial agenda mm. and I think... I mean, that's always been a really important agenda to push, I think, but now more than ever. Mm. Well, you, your first screening for
0: this series, and we did mention before, it is a seven-week screening. Was uh, the day of invasion day, the day, before, the day before, the day before invasion day, and you started with oh, an amazing double, um, Tracy Moffat, Night Cries. A rural Tragedy, and you coupled that short with Ten Canoes, the Rolf Hear classic. We've had Rolf on the show before, and Ten Canoes is one of the first films to ever feature Indigenous lang- Australian Indigenous language on screen. It's a remarkable film if you haven't seen those, but coupling those two together, putting them in conversation, the day before Invasion Day, really powerful screening, program curation. You've had three screenings since then, and you've got another uh, four to go. What's the responses been like from audiences?
3: it's been good yeah it I should mention as well the idea to kind of do the double feature or not mm. double fe- they're both not features but to do pairings I guess yeah, yeah. Was, was the decision that we made along the way as well so it's often pairing like a shorter film with a, a longer one and it's been good I feel like each week it's kind of the the um, audience has gotten a bit bigger that's fantastic um, yeah uh uh, particularly like last week um, that was like a really special week for me um, in regards to the films that we screened, mm. in, just in regards to like my um, ancestry, I'm Maori. We we put on a film called Part 2 by Morata um, Mita. Um, it's um, from the 80s <clears throat> um, documenting the protests uh, against the uh, apartheid South African um, rugby team um, mm. in New Zealand and the racist tour. And, um, yeah, we we paired that one with a um, video work by a local artist based in Nam, Roberta Joy Rich, um, and whose work remembering District 6 and whose broader practice as well, they Mm. um, are an artist, an interdisciplinary artist, is about um, apartheid South Africa. Mm. And to bring that kind of conversation of apartheid that, you know, that is... um, Kind of being amplified at the moment with the situation mm. in um, in Palestine. Yeah, um, it, there, there was a lot of people. Um, yeah, were really kind of reflecting on like a, a lot of conversation in the um, on the evening that was yeah reflecting on just like this doc, this documentation of activists and how like a lot of us that have been doing a lot of activism at the moment there is like still kind of a lot of similar yeah. processes that we yeah. we're going through
0: and to learn from that and to have that as a kind of mentor mentorship I suppose when you're thinking about power structures and and how long lasting these are I think the programming for next week looks amazing as well um you've got mermaids this is happening sorry this week on Thursday mermaids with um Neptune Frost which some some listeners may have seen uh at MQFF or MIF a few years back I love that you like there's there's something really a liveliness to this programming because you know putting these in these uh, films in conversation, it just creates this space especially in a community space. we should mention it 's free as well like it 's remarkable mm-hmm. to have access to these films that you 've found and you 've you 've put in conversation with each other and to not be charged at all. I wonder with um with these with um the screenings and and that sort of thing what what do you kind of hope that people take away from it
4: um, I think like as you just mentioned the putting the films into conversation with one another has been one of the most um, enjoyable parts of the mm. process for Cody and I mm-hmm. um, and I think even though the whole program is in conversation with itself I suppose every week yeah really thinking as a as an audience member thinking about the parallels or the differences mm. and the different times that each film was made um, and reflecting on that upon leaving the program I think has been something that's been really special as Cody mentioned last week there was a lot of discussion around you know, activist processes. Mm. We all kind of smiled as we watched all of the, um, flyers getting printed out when we want like people are always writing agendas and printing out <laughs> pamphlets and things and we're all still doing that now yeah. so yeah. and there was like a, an
3: interview with a very young gary foley oh in, wow in the film as well yeah yeah
0: mm-hmm. and i think that that's the thing we we talk a lot about ways in which we can what we can do because sometimes there's that sense of despair we've had for all sorts of reasons there we're living in a very um depressing times for for want of a better phrase so much more than that and we can't cover that on the show, but, you know, we've touched upon some of the things that are happening both on a global and on a domestic scale. What do you think is the generative? Like, what do you think the role is of film plays in these stories with with being able to talk about these big topics? I think
4: that film is really serving as a space for social discourse um, Mm. and particularly by positioning it in an outdoor and a free setting. Mm. um, We were really interested, I suppose in the vernacular space of Citizens Park as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there are all of these different things coming together. It's it's hopefully a fairly equalising space too and I think that there's something really power, powerful about narrative and storytelling that mm. often you can't get from other forms of media or forms of art mm. and obviously every um, art form does something different but I think mm. that that's one of the things that we have found so special about the cinema itself or the format
0: and so often what gets screened you know when we live in um you know a culture where there's so much focus on what amount of money will this make at the box office there's something very radical about not only just showing having a free screening space but actually deciding to choose these films to screen there because so often people this might be the first time that they're seeing a lot of these films they're quite rare and yes they've been around for a while but it's that it's that kind of um the knowledge that's been passed of film history and also activism history as you said Corey that sort of is being taught in this it's it's really remarkable um I'm so glad that this exists I think we need more of these um and we should mention that this is a in partnership with the ACCA is that right and the city of Yarra
4: um
2: thank yeah. you
0: to the city
4: of Yarra who um funded our cinema <laughs> so Yarra City Arts yeah
0: fantastic yeah and um, you can find more information. I think there is a listing on the ACCA website. But there's also a listing on the City of Yarra website. Seventh Cinema, you've got a um, Seventh Gallery has. a – You can follow them on that as well. There's all sorts of ways to get in contact and to to check it out. Um, Lucy and Corey, thank you so much for coming on Primal Screen. Thanks thank for having you. us. My yeah. pleasure. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Big thank you to all of my guests from tonight's show. Dr. Jess Bellas and Zach Ruane from the wonderful screening series Screams on Screen, which is going to be happening this Friday and Saturday night. You can head online and, and thanks to the listeners who called in and, and snapped up some double passes. Do check that out. And thank you also to the wonderful Corey Miles and Lucy Loy, who are the curators of Seventh Cinema, which is a free public cinema season that kicked off a few weeks back. Um, it's on for another four weeks, so please do check that out. And I hope you enjoyed our review of Alexander Payne's campus drama, The Holdovers. I highly recommend that you check that one out. It's in cinemas, but it is also streaming. Go along to the cinema. Before I wrap up tonight, uh, I want to say thank you to Lulin for producing support, to Kelsey Petifar for all the socials. It's good night from us, but stay tuned because local and/or general is up now.
4: Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R.